I'm Joe. And I'm Reed. And this is Double Shot, the digital journal of two young professionals navigating growth in work and life. Okay, on this episode, our main topic is this idea of should your passion, should you have the the requirement to make your hobbies an economic driver in your life? We live in this world where it's all follow your passion, turn your hobbies into a career, and there's some validity to that, but there's a lot of nuance that's required in the conversation. So that's our our main topic. Uh, We also go a little bit long-winded on getting kind of nerdy about shoes and soccer cleats, Uh, some really good conversations about movies if you're a bit of a film nerd. So uh, lots of stuff in here. Jump to about 40 minutes if you want to skip that and get to the main topic. But uh, a really enjoyable episode. Excited to get back to things, and we hope you enjoy as always. What's Dude, the, your hair is large. It's very, it's very large. It is today. large. <laughs> is it distracting? Do I need to? Do I need to put it up? No, it's okay. fine. It's just hilarious. It's like this. I is never the first, wear it down. Yeah, you never wear it down. This is like the full on flow. You yeah, look like I, a lacrosse player. I get tired of um, it pulling against my head. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I would imagine wearing a whatever hair tie. Hair tie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like tiring on the scalp. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, at first, when I could first pull it back, it was very tiring on the scalp. And then I got used to it, and it stopped being. And then I probably wore it without taking it down for, like, two months straight, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, outside of sleeping. And um, this week, I was like, yeah, I'll get my head a break. Yeah. I had that when I first started wearing hats all the time. Yeah. And I was like, oh, there's just, like, this sort of tugging, mm-hmm. whatever feeling. And now I wear Almost hats like all pressure. the time. Almost like pressure. Yeah. 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 Now it's almost like home. It's yeah. Comfort. Comforting. Comforting yeah. squish. Uh huh. I also just can't stand having hair around. Mm. So even with mine, where it's just like Only bangs, the top. Yeah. In, essentially, when it's like on my forehead, I can't stand it. Oh yeah, so, this is taking getting used to. Yeah. Just touching my neck is kind of weird. Uh-huh. So I wear it up. Like as soon as I go to do anything, it goes up. Yeah. Anything. Basically. Although, if you ever are like at a CrossFit competition. And there's like photographers. I, guess, I mean, it's good to I have it up out of the way. Anything worse than trying to do cross it with this going oh, it'd, on? It'd be a pain in the ass. But the photos would be great. The photos would be cool. The only thing that you could possibly do, like I would not Olympic lift because it would hit me in the eyeballs uh-huh. and I would lose concentration. Yeah, like that's such a that's such a be in touch with where the bar is on your body movement, like or experience that. Getting distracted, like if you're in an Olympic weightlifting gym, like a real one, not a CrossFit gym, and you walk in front of somebody's view while they're lifting, no, they will kick uh, you out. Yeah. Like it's it's the worst type of etiquette. And that's somebody 10, 15, 25 feet away from you coming in your purview. So imagine having your own hair smack you in the eyeball <laughs> while you're lifting. Mm-hmm. The worst. You know what I've noticed? Uh, well, a couple things came to mind. One is you're going to have to do the thing that like – Usually just women have to deal with, yeah. which is like when you're doing a squat, you're going to have to like do the hair flip the over hair the bar. The yeah. yeah. So it's not on your hair. Well, I always bun it. Oh, true. Yeah. You're not just going to do I'm, like... I'll probably... Oh, yeah. I Never do nothing a ponytail. Ag- nothing against people who do it, but I think guys with ponytails look ridiculous. Yeah. So preferably no. Okay. Never a ponytail. So just a bun. <laughs> um, one thing I've noticed... Even with people who I know who are like pretty good at lifting, not the like truly best people I know, people who are like pretty experienced that still don't get neck position right. And when they're like deadlifting do or doing like a clean, they're like looking up at the mirror. So for as cleaning, up. it actually 
is a technique to pick up. Okay. That actually is not incorrect. So if you watch, if you watch um, like really high level Olympic weightlifters, mm-hmm. they do this weird like mouth open thing that okay. looks kind of absurd where like they go down to the bar and then they, they almost like crank their whole body up Yep. Mm-hmm. and then their head goes with it and you look up, like your eyes stay down, but your head starts to go up mm, okay. and um, it looks like it's off, but it's, it's not powerlifting little bit of a different like story. Like deadlifting, you want to have a neutral. The reason for the the head position, I don't actually know with Olympic weightlifting. I can tell you anecdotally, what I find to be weird is that if I shift from a position where I'm looking at the floor and then my gaze moves as I'm lifting, I again lose. It's distracting. Mm. So you just want to look at the same spot. I want to be like same spot the whole time. So I almost get my head pre-positioned to where I'll look. Mm-hmm. So like if I'm lifting and I'm looking out towards the edge of a room and there's the in, like the part where the wall and the floor come to, together, yeah, I want to get my head much higher than that because when I go to pull the bar through, my head is going to be neutral, mm-hmm. right? And actually, my body will be slightly pulled back if I've done it well. So I'll be in triple extension. And my shoulders will be slightly behind my hip. Yeah. So when I get there, my head's going to be up, and my eyes really shouldn't have changed position because if my eyes change position, I get distracted. Right. So if I went from floor to floor to wall meet point to like 12 feet up the wall with my eyes, I would be seeing things the whole time and I wouldn't be paying complete attention to the bar. So I think it has something to do with where your attention is. Mm. So if you get your head prepositioned and your eyes stay there, when you catch your snatch, for example, your head shouldn't have moved from the starting position. Mm-hmm. It should be in pretty much the same spot. Yeah. So you'll hear people say like um, head up, eyes down, chin up, eyes down mm-hmm. is like a, one of the cues like – so when you catch your eyes, stay neutral, even though your head will be up. Mm-hmm. So I think it has to do with visual distraction more than it does anything else. Um, but like with powerlifting, you don't need to worry about it. Yeah. So all you're thinking about is stacking perfectly. Yeah. Because again, um, the weights are very different as well. So the sheer force on my spine, if I'm a world record deadlifter, it's probably somewhere between 900 and 1100 pounds for a male world record deadlifter like for a body weight size. Yeah. You're never pulling that in a snatch. Yeah. Like ever. You're not pulling half of that. So the sheer force on your spine is really not enough to ever make it a problem. Mm-hmm. And I would say that for every single person I've ever met in my life, it will never be a problem mm-hmm. for them to deadlift with their head up. Yeah. yeah. I just see people who like really crank their neck when they're doing this and just like, I don't know, man. They've seen somebody on Instagram do it with a clean and they've thought that's how you're supposed to pick everything off the ground, which isn't true. Yeah. Um, and I, st- I, I actually think squatting that way is really weird. Oh, yeah. It just feels oh, weird. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's why I wouldn't do it. But I, there was definitely a time where people thought that was going to be like causing disc problems mm-hmm. in your in your upper neck. Extremely unlikely. Okay. Hmm. Oh, man. I, every time I talk about lifting, I just like get excited about it. When are you going to join a gym? Maybe... Not this month because I'm paying my ER bill, but the yeah. next month. <laughs> yeah, dude, I have so many random expenses right now. I know. I, so I'm hoping, uh, what would that be, July is like normal finances again, yeah. which yeah, means yeah, I'm yeah. not allowed to buy anything for the next six months. Um, and then I'll probably, so maybe July I'll join a gym. I don't know. I got two pairs of running shoes today. Ordered oh, two pairs. <laughs> very exciting. Which ones? Uh, both from Adidas. I'm going back. Oh, really? Yeah. Which ones? I'm trying again. So the uh, SL 
and the Takumi Sen 9. Okay. So SL is their like sort of affordable daily trainer type of thing. Uh, it replaces the SL20, which is a shoe that I used to run in. And the foam's like pretty basic, a little more dead. It's not like mm-hmm. one of these like crazy fancy not like foams. Squishy, squishy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I want that. Yeah. And I just read some reviews and it seems like they made some good adjustments. Then the Takumi Sen 9 is their like half marathon racer. Okay. So they have the like higher stack one that's for marathons, the Audios yeah. Pro. That's the one that like has records and that kind of stuff. Although I think the Takumi does in does shorter the distance. Takumi have a plate. Uh, so are you familiar with what Adidas does? I'm not. They don't have a plate. They, they have, have the, like rods. Oh, okay. So I was so, going to ask if they had the auto adjusting foam. No. So, okay. um, so they use their own proprietary super foam, right. the Light Strike Pro. Sure, whatever. Yeah. Um, but rather than a plate, they have rods that line up with your toes. Like kind of meant to be metatarsal. Yeah, support, like metatarsal yeah. carbon rods. Okay, as their propulsion system. Uh, so kind of wild. But, yeah. Um, so I got a pair of super shoes because yeah. I had the ones that I tried for the full, and they just like didn't work for me. Yeah. And realistically, which ones were those? Uh, the Saucony Endorphin Pro Three. Okay. Yeah. M- mess with my Achilles a bit. And you like, isn't Saucony who makes a Kinvara? Uh, yep. I and like a like lot of that. Stuff. You like a lot of Saucony stuff, right? And the Endorphin, uh, oh, what is it? The, the Pro's the top of the line one. Endorphin Speed is the like Tempo Day, not carbon plate. It's a composite plate. Yeah. Getting real nerdy about shoes no, right no, now. No, this is cool. Um, I love those. But so just, you said it's a, it, it is composite, not carbon. carbon. Yeah. Okay. What's mm-hmm. the big difference? rigidity right yeah Yeah. it's rigidity and weight so like the carbon plate's gonna be very light and then like you notice the the composite plates that's you know just like a dense plastic essentially right um that just doesn't feel as plated as the carbon plates do um so they tend to feel softer and that kind of thing compared to the carbon plate ones how um how long have carbon plates been in running shoes Ooh, uh, I'm not going to have a great they, like, answer for that. They became when they popular came yeah. like within the last six years. Oh, so relatively new then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it all blew up. Oh, yeah. Soccer did this 11 years ago. Exactly. 11, 12 years ago. We did it. I remember buying my first pair. So Nike launched something that they called, what did they call it? I think the Superlight series. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they replaced the bottom of your yeah. shoe oh, yeah. with a carbon plate. Yeah. And it was awesome. I mean, you felt no difference in like, tension and pr- propulsion because cleats are not supposed to propel yeah, you forward. Th- it was like a super hard plastic. Incredibly. Yeah. Well, it, it was harder as carbon, mm-hmm. right? Like carbon fiber is way harder than the plastic. But it's not like it like necessarily, like it, it I'm took, sure. It took ounces, yeah, like exactly. four to six ounces off of every shoe. So you had a, you had like a vapor that was the like lightest shoe. Mm-hmm. Vapors and super lights. So, or vapors and Audi zeros were the two like predominantly dominant light shoes on the market. And so Nike Vapor, Adidas, um, Audi Zero, and they put the super light plate on the on the Vapors at the same time that they made the sock for the mm-hmm. first time. So Nike was like way ahead of the game on all this stuff. Um, and they went from, I think it was nine ounces to six. Yeah. Which like is nothing, but they're, they're almost so light at six ounces, you don't feel them. It's crazy. It's and you add that in with like a super, like a fly knit upper and it was those were unbelievable. So I have the, a pair of untouched, unopened black ones. No way. Yeah, I don't know how much they're worth right now. Probably, I bet you they're going for five or six right Ooh. now. Are you going to keep them? I'm not even sure where they are. Yeah. I think they're in my back room somewhere. I don't know. Like, they're really freaking cool. So They're really cool. 
uh, the SLs that I got are quote light for a daily trainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like lightish. They're not that light for a daily trainer, but they're like nine point five ounces. Right? Okay, yeah. The Takumis are like six point four, and you, the difference is crazy. right? Oh yeah, you notice. Yeah, and it's weird because like to the to the hand, you almost don't. Mm-hmm. But then you put them on your feet and you start moving, and you notice it immediately. I also love how the companies keep the branding consistent. So the racing line of Adidas shoes is Adi Zero. Mm. So they continue that. So it's the nice. Adi Zero SL, the Adi Zero Takumi Sun And Nike's nine. racing they stuff, vapor, vapor fly, yeah. right? Yeah. So the first, like the I shoe love that, everything Nike does. It's oh so gosh. great. <laughs> but the shoe that like made it all happen and running was the original Nike vapor fly. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And then they, um, was that the 4% or was the second one the 4%? I think it was the original. It was the 4%. And then 4% flying it and then next percent and so on and so forth. Yeah. But Nike was the one who did it. So when they introduced the original vapor fly with the plate and the super foam, that's what set this all off. So Got whatever it. year the original vapor fly came out, let's, let's say it was six years ago, something like that, that's when it all kicked off. And then it took until like four years ago for the other brands to catch up. Mm. And now, like, Saucony has theirs, Brooks, Asics, everybody does. And Nike is still the leader in it, but Adidas is as successful a yeah. shoe as that. Uh, Asics is up there, too. Which They're means like Nike's going to launch something soon. That's different. They're iterating. They did They'll the, do something different. Well, they did with the Alpha Fly. Okay. And it was, like... Kind of successful, kind of not. What they what what they do? Is it still a plate? Oh, it's weird. Okay, it's weird. So you know the like Nike shocks they have yeah. like the pod. So the Alpha Fly has a plate, but then under the forefoot, underneath the plate, there's like a shocks system, and then there's the outsole. Oh, so interesting. There, so that's like their top shoe. They're two hundred seventy five bucks. All this stuff, but if you look at the pros. Only about half of the people, if that, use the Alpha Fly. The majority still use the Vapor Fly and prefer it because it was almost like a little too much. Yeah, I have a pair, uh, which I like never of cu- use. Of course, of you course do. I do. Um, and they're just—I'm not a huge fan. They're also loud. They mm. like slap. Oh, that would bother run. me. It make you, and it would tell your brain you're slapping, mm-hmm. which would fuck up your stride because cause then you try to change. So the like. They use this like wave pattern on the outsole, and it's a harder outsole rubber. Okay, so it's just super loud yeah. as you're running. So I, uh, when have you read Shoe Dog? I have it on my uh, Kitchen Island at home, okay. but no, not it's yet. It's super fun. It's a good story, and they talk about in that book how, and Nike still has the same mission statement that they are a shoe company. Mm-hmm. Like that's what their mission statement says. So all their apparel line, everything they make tons of money off of on the side, in their mission statement and what the company operates under is behind shoes. So like so cool. Nike should theoretically speaking, never be second to the market with an innovation. And I would bet that they will almost never copy somebody. Cause it would be like contrary to their, like if, if Adidas came out with a new propulsion technology, yeah, Nike would rather take probably another five years to find their own mm-hmm. different one than do the same thing differently. You know what I mean? I mean, they are, the leader and they like they started the whole carbon thing. Adidas obviously like the metatarsal rods is a very different thing. Yeah, is it more successful than the plate that Nike did six years ago? Not really. No, no, because it's still propulsion technology inside yeah. of a shoe. It's the same to use some of the content we're all consuming. It's the same category. Yeah, you're second and you're last. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. Yeah, but they, I mean, 
with like Pegasus, right? The original Pegasus. They're now on the 40th iteration of the Pegasus. Wow. So they've been leading the daily trainer category yep. and, and all that kind of thing. So they just, they really do. All lead footwear. All, yeah. All, all footwear. footwear stuff. Well, and to wrap it up, your point about keeping the thing, the line the same. They have vapor skates for hockey, vapor shoes yeah. for football, vapor cleats for baseball and softball, vapor cleats for soccer, vapor runners, like yeah. all the same, which is nice because then in my head, I already know if I read something that says vapor on it, I know it's light. Like yeah. I don't have to, I know the it's value the prop thing. immediately. It's it's the top thing because yeah, they're down versioned ones like are something vapor mm-hmm. for soccer um, and I know it's the light shoe. When I played soccer, I I don't remember what model it was. All I know is I used whatever Rooney was using. He would have been probably wearing total nineties, okay. which came out um like for us, like what he would have been wearing when we were both playing. Mm-hmm. He was wearing nineties. What was the line before that? Which was from which brand? Because it's Nike. been so Nike. long. Okay, he was Nike. He was a Nike athlete. Um, forever. Uh, I can't remember what that line was called before then. The best vapors ever made were twos, though. Vapor twos were mm, unbelievable. Okay. Unbelievable. Crazy blisters, but man, once you broke them in, unbelievable. Yeah. So I wore those until the plate came off the bottom. Wow. I wore those until the, so the instep, like, right mm-hmm. underneath your big toe and the ball of your foot. That's, that's what gets caught on grass. It's like, it takes the most wear on your shoe. And I wore my vapor twos until they split completely open. They were freaking great. It also coincided with when I got good. Mm-hmm. So I distinctively remember this. There was a uh, like a, a warm-up to state cup tournament at that Carmel hosted called Memorial Cup. So it was Memorial Day weekend. And Soccer Village would come out and have a tent, and they would put stuff on crazy sale. And I was in the market for new cleats because my cleats were broken. I was like 13 years old or something like that. My cleats were broken. And we like walked through the tent after the tournament, and they had this pair of like gray vapor twos. It was like almost like dusk gray, mm-hmm. a little blue, a little gray. And I was like, oh, those are so cool. And I always wanted to wear Nikes because like, who doesn't? Yeah. And um, I remember like getting them, being really pumped, right? And they were on crazy sale. So like at the time, I think they were like 70 bucks and they were normally like 150 bucks. It was like, awesome deal. And then I balled out all the state tournament and all of regionals. Like, incredible played so well so then it was like these are my shoes you yeah, know like at uh-huh. that point it was like it's over you i'm only wearing connection. vapors like this is it so then it that was all i ever wanted to wear and i i mean i could talk about nerdy shoe shit literally for hours, hours. on end hours foam types of outsole rubber like technology and propulsion and stability and how different brands do it differently and all that stuff, man. I think a, a good bridge to like content would be to talk about the Born to Run book real quick. Yeah, hit me. Because it got um, marketed as like the You Should Run Barefoot book, which mm-hmm. is, is... That is a l- discussion point. Literally it, a discussion that not- point that takes, I think they take two chapters and there's like 30 plus chapters. Do you know if the author went and did anything else with the Barefoot thing afterwards? That- I don't think so. It just is the thing that pe- it's. Well, here's the thing: it's probably the most controversial part of the book, which mm-hmm. is what people are naturally going to cling mm-hmm. on to as the like. It made this statement, and yeah. this is why I hate this book, or I love this book, yeah. or whatever. Right? Totally. Like, like he doesn't even run barefoot. Like, that's oh, what, really? Yeah, McDougal didn't run barefoot. Like he wore he wore shoes, and and the only person in the group who was like really hardcore barefoot running was just one guy. And was this the? Um, like the village of people. Yeah, the Tarumara, yeah. like down in Mexico and all that stuff. But um, the, the reason I brought it up was 
I think that there's a place for really good foam and there's a place for like very minimalist or even all the way to barefoot. Yeah. And like actually being able to do all of it is better than being in only one camp. So like you talked about when I, when I was wearing pretty squishy hokas and I was having problems, you were like, probably because you're not ready for them like mm-hmm. the the nice way of telling me that i'm not an experienced enough runner to know how to control that feeling mm-hmm. and so my foot's just rolling everywhere and like jacking up my legs and it's like oh okay like if i wanted to but if i wanted to be the best runner possible using the tool of carbon plate requires the ability to use foam and so i could probably go run i could run not track not keeping track like rocks cutting into my feet outside of that I could go run barefoot for like an extended period of time. Yep. But I could On what surface? No, that's what I'm saying. Take away like rocks okay, cutting into yeah, my feet. Yeah, okay. So just like standard running, get yeah, grass. Yeah. Um, I'd be fine. I won't have like any pain. But if you give me foam and have me run the same distance, I'll have pain. Yeah. Which means that like I'm the inverse of somebody who's the other, who's like, I can run in foam shoes, but as soon as you get me on a zero drop or you make me minimal, you give me a Nike free, like whatever, I start having problems. And so like I need if I wanted to become a better runner and like perform in races better, spending time building up how to run in foam would like mm-hmm. be beneficial for me. Yeah. And the inverse. Well, it's like it people cling on to these things and then they like turn it into an entire ideology. So yeah. there's the people who are like, the only thing you should ever do is run barefoot in grass. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, what am I going to do for a marathon? Exactly. Right. It, it's the same thing. I can't remember who this was, but uh, it was, let's say, 10 years ago. And there was some person who was a like nutrition expert in quotation marks. Sure. And their thing became like, I eat 12 bananas a day. <laughs> and it's like, listen, like bananas and potassium and digestible carbohydrates and all that stuff. Like, right. Sure. Sure. But they clung on to like bananas are good and made that their brand. Yeah. And that's where the same thing with the barefoot running crew. It's like, listen, to like build up some durability in your feet and the extra like the natural movement and rolling of your individual toes that occurs without a shoe and all that kind of stuff, like valid. And being able to pronate without injury. Yep. That's the thing. That's one of the reasons that you should not run in a plated shoe all the time. Plated shoes should be reserved for special occasions. Yeah. Because it's great from like stability, propulsion, all those different things, but it prevents the natural movement of your foot. So people that wear like when vapors came out and they just like wore them all the time, got tons of injuries because it's not actually natural. Right. You have to do some of everything. Right. Yeah, totally. That's, I think that's a great point is like we get caught up in a message and decide it's the message. And anytime you apply pretty much anything to all statements, it's like, even right now I'm saying there's nothing that would possibly be an all the time statement, but like there actually are, if you investigate them, like you should sleep every day probably a thing you should Um, not smoke cigarettes (laughs) yeah right there are some things but when you start applying like blanket statements about lifestyle like or or training nutrition is one of the worst nutrition is like the worst one because even the banana thing like a kiwi has more potassium per ounce than a banana so like should i just have kiwis instead and only eat kiwis should i only have kiwis (laughs) or like what about steve jobs who went through a period where he literally only ate fruit and believed that if you only ate fruit you didn't need to bathe yeah. Yikes. And then like the carnivore diet <laughs> yeah. and all the stuff. It's Only like, eat red meat. Yeah. People just like Chill understand out. macro and micronutrients on like some level and just do what you well, need and, to like, do. The nutrition one is really interesting because um, nutrition is so dictated by where you live mm-hmm. and what's around you. So yeah. like your your own resources dictate what you'll have in your diet. And so you can find very, very healthy 
entire populations of individuals who have completely different diets. Like many of the healthiest Asian populations eat on a percentage of their diet of carbohydrate that would shock most Americans who believe that carbohydrates are the devil, right? Like, I mean, the number of areas where rice is 70% is of the diet, 70% of the diet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like rice. And then like, depending on the geography, it's like beans or fish or yeah. whatever. Right. It's corn. Like, yeah. It's like, so it's one of those things where you can find really, 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 really healthy people who are vegetarian. You can find really, really healthy people whose entire diet consists of meat product. Mm-hmm. Like, think very far north north america atlantic rim or sorry antarctic rim whale blubber pure fat and this is where (laughs) this is these are the things that frustrate me quite a bit is these people who go and they do these podcast tours and they're like i observe this community of people in this obscure place and all they eat is xyz or the only exercise they do is handstand walking (laughs) in like shoes as gloves and it's like (laughs) and this is the only way that anybody should exercise we should take all of these things and put them in our life that's just nonsense yeah it's crazy no no nuance so speaking of content that doesn't suck have you been consuming anything that you enjoy uh you know i've been consuming a lot of content for work purposes Mm, recently yeah um which like it's good but it's like I don't know, nothing to write home about. Like, mm-hmm. there's inspiring stuff from, like, Lockhead from a, a creator perspective. I'm yep. somebody who enjoys the creative field. Um, some of what I do for work is, quote, creative. Well, actually, all, not, every single thing you do for work true. is creative. Yeah, very true. Some of it is the, the act of creating, as some of it yeah, is. Yeah, I'm not, like, a creator full-time in the sense of, like, somebody who is making content as their yeah. whatever, right? But, Although you do, you've make quite a bit but i do make quite a bit of you content, curate a ton of content and you make a good amount yeah um so that i've like i really enjoy that but i don't know there's nothing that's like standing out of something right home about i will say uh a couple decades late i'm watching the sopranos oh nice just to have watched it yeah well it's like fantastic art yeah right? like uh-huh. you probably should one of those like should things yeah, kind of uh-huh. like reading like, great literature yeah exactly um which for the longest time when I was like young, I was like, this sounds like a soap opera. Um, I'm watching it's like, yeah, it's just a great TV show. Right? Yeah. Um, so that I'm doing. I'm going through the nice. Sopranos. But it's what, 13 seasons long? Uh, no, I think it's less than that. Less than that. I think it's less than 10. Okay. Maybe seven. Something yeah, like that. something like that. It's, it's like, not one that ended too long. No, no, no. But it's a long mm-hmm. series nonetheless. Yeah. Cool. So that's it. You like yeah. it so far? Oh, I've been enjoying it. It's like, you have to ignore the 90s of it. <laughs> and that like, I just, I don't know what it is. I was thinking about this the other day. Film, TV today, and maybe it's just music preference. Like, dramatic music today feels more dramatic than dramatic music of the past. Oh, interesting. And there's probably some aspect of just, like, style and what I'm used to, but it just feels like maybe the technology and how we were able to produce music, but it feels like if you watch The Sopranos, and then if you watch, I don't know, Ozark, right? The the music that's a part of it just feels more serious. It feels darker. Even in mm. each show, it's during a like dark moment where like, yeah, totally. somebody's killing a family member or something, yeah. right? Like there's something about it where when I say it just like feels nineties, it just like doesn't feel as serious, even in the Is most there like serious a corniness moments. of it to you? Uh I don't know if it's corny, no. Because okay. they're, tr- they're I mean, trying I'm- to be well, that's, that's what I mean. Sometimes, like, it can try, and then it, like, tries too hard, and then it feels corny. 
Yeah, it, it's one of those things I've had debates with people of previous generations mm. around like film and stuff where I'm like, the new stuff is just better. And it's like, listen, I mean, there's some stuff where like storytelling hasn't necessarily improved, but I think actually a lot of it has. Dude, I was watching the first, I, I, uh, <laughs> I watched Indiana Jones, like mm-hmm. the OG Indiana yeah. Jones, and I was like, this is garbage. So bad. Can you enjoy it? Because I love Cut. Indiana Jones. Yes. Even though it's a, not like to great. To a degree. Uh-huh. But there's also like a lot of like really bad like racist shit in that. Oh, there's tons of really like bad terrible. racist shit in that. But even outside of that, because like if you read the original James Bond books, have mm-hmm. you read any of the original no. James Bond mm-hmm. books? Oh my. Like you remember that they were written in the 60s yeah. quickly. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, right. I'm in the 60s in England. Like, yikes. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to stop myself. Um, yeah. But the the character development does not exist mm-hmm. in Indiana Jones. It is like a movie that's an hour and a half of just action. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. We just know more. Like, everything... Everything is psychology, okay? Yeah. Everything is psychology. Yeah, I agree with you. And we just know so much more about it now that we can... Play to it. Play to it in storytelling and all those things. So, like, dramatic movies feel more dramatic. Dramatic music feels more dramatic. Storytelling feels better. So, like, the new shows are just better than the old ones. It doesn't mean the old ones were bad, and they were the best at the time that there had ever been. But then they got better. It's it's like athletics. Um, yep. Roger Bannister breaking the four minute mile is still amazing. Mm-hmm. The fact that high schoolers do it now regularly also amazing. Yeah, you know, it's exactly. like those things can coexist. Um, and I, you know, we probably wouldn't have. I mean, even remakes, right? Like, look at the original Oceans and the remake Oceans. The remake yep. Oceans are way more well regarded than yep. the originals. But like, without the originals, the remakes wouldn't be what they are. So it's. It's like you need them both. But yeah, it was I like watched um Indiana Jones like last Sunday night. I came home from the lake early to pick up my dog and um I was like by myself and I was like what sort of stupid thing would I just not put Katie through? Mm-hmm. This. I'll put I'll put myself through this and see if it's any good cuz they're making a new one that's out I think this month or what? next month, yeah. Mhm. Man. Yeah. Okay, you know what new movie I am excited about? I I don't care what anybody thinks about them. I don't actually think most people have issues with them. I love Mission Impossible. Oh, really? I love Mission Impossible. Okay, I've really never dived into Mission Impossible. Just delightful. Yeah. And like some of them I think are truly good from a, I don't know, drama or whatever yeah. standpoint. But then, you know, now they're like bigger and grander and whatever. But if you just want like, if you enjoy Top Gun Maverick, sure. let's say, You'll enjoy Mission Impossible. Sure. It's just like cinema. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. And Fallout, I was a big fan of. That's the most recent one. And the next one, the like, they're, I think the last two are going to be a two-part thing. Okay. So it's called Something Something Part One, this one that's coming out. And I'm so excited. When's it out? Uh, sometime this year. I'm not sure when exactly. Cool. But if you just want a popcorn movie with like all yeah. that action, spy stuff, whatever, Tom Cruise being stuff. Tom Cruise, yeah. doing his own stunts, like... If you ever saw any of the things about him doing his own stunts where he was hanging off like a C-17 airplane <laughs> in real life to yeah. do a stunt, like that's in one of those that's movies. That's pretty cool. Um, they're just fantastic. He did this crazy helicopter 
maneuver in Fallout that he actually did in real life. Tom Cruise, the actor. This is probably why the military made it very clear that he was allowed to be in the plane as long as he promised not to t- touch anything. Yeah. So, oh, I'm just so You break our so billion-dollar airplane, Mr. Cruise, we're going to kill you. I watched the the last Indiana Jones, the uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or whatever. Okay, I haven't seen that one. Couldn't stand it. Oh, I really? It was, I, I really enjoy the originals as goofy and campy as they are. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're like, so campy. Uh, Crystal Skull is just... I don't know, like, it was, I can enjoy it as, again, just, like, mindless entertainment. Sure. That you're not going to recommend to somebody as, like, a good movie, but it was just, like, a little bit too bad. The, but the thing about that is I can always look at ones that are made more recent that are the same thing and better. Yes. Like, mindless entertainment that's better, original Captain America. Mindless entertainment that's better, the original Avengers. Mindless um, entertainment that's better, Casino Royale. Yeah. Mindless entertainment that's better, both Sherlock Holmes. Like, mm-hmm. I... All of yeah, would give anything for there to be another Sherlock Holmes movie. Dude, they've been they've been teasing it kind of for like a decade. There's supposed to be a third one at the end of the second one where he's in, in his costume, disguise yeah. and he gets mm-hmm. out of the chair Which, and puts way, a question mark. Is book true? Not literally how they yeah, do it, but uh-huh. he survives in the book as well. Yeah. So, but that moment, I could like shoot fireworks off i, I know, was like come on let's go like i i, I really enjoyed those i movies. heard that yeah they, you, well you know they're in my top five favorite yeah, movies uh-huh. um uh i heard i don't know if it's true or not but i had heard that originally prior to covid it was supposed to come out in 23 mm, and or, then, or 22 yeah. maybe and then when everything got pushed from a filming standpoint all these other contracts started to jut up against them and so like Robert Downey Jr. had to go be Iron Man. And Jude Law has something going on. And so it's like they start like weaving and you can't find the time. Yeah. And so when I've gotten on Google Kicks and like researched it, pretty much everybody involved in the movie is like, I want to make a third one. And nobody will like make a third one. <sighs> so you're but saying it's, be, it's not like in production, it's not planned. It's a like we hope to. Original, well, I think the story's built. So like it's supposed to be set in San Francisco. It's like some amount of years after the end of two. Yeah. And um, I don't think that Watson and Holmes have like been back together yet. Okay. So like, I think that's like the baseline for mm-hmm. the storytelling, but there's not, um, that's all I really know. Movies that I could watch infinite numbers of times. Okay. Oceans movies. Yep. 11, 11, 11. I can actually do the others just because I'm a fan of the I can series. do 12, I think, over 13. Okay. Because it's fun. It's in Europe. It's something different. Mm-hmm. 13 feels like a remake of 11. It's not as good. Okay. But I could, well, I've could. i seen each Oceans movie probably 20 to 30 to 50 yeah. times. Like a ton. I love 11. It's um, like one of my favorite movies. So that I can do Casino Royale. Uh, actually, that's the only one that I could really do indefinitely. I really enjoy all of them, but Casino Royale, like, watch as many times as you can. The only problem with the other ones is they're heavier. Mm, So watching them all the time gets harder because what they did really well, and I I think a lot of credit for this goes to Daniel Craig specifically, is they made his character grow. Yeah. And his character growing also shows all the shadows, right yeah so it gets harder you like you start to question mi6 it gets more serious it starts to be a little more like political commentary on real life um which is great it's excellent it makes the movies like skyfall (laughs) specter no time to die are no time to die the end of that movie 
emotionally wrecked. Oh, and you even you know it's coming the whole time. You know it's coming, and it's still emotionally I knew before wrecked. I saw the movie. Yeah, everybody did. Everybody and, knew that was the end. And not not literally that no, scene, but yeah. we knew that the end was the end. Like, I don't know what it. I truly like went into a depression. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I mean, like not I literally that extreme, fine. but like I it like it hurt. It hurt, but at the same time, it um it didn't hurt as bad as Endgame did. Really? Yeah, because um, Endgame, you knew that somebody was dying. Actually, you know that did Endgame was that was fucked, brutal. Dude. That I was- watched Endgame <laughs> twice, and I have cried both times. Once was in public in it's, the theater. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're at a superhero movie yes. with like a bunch of twelve year olds. No, 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 no. Like, I'm with a bunch of me's. Like everywhere I look, it's some couple. Yeah, that's in their twenties. And everybody's in tears. That was amazing. That was hard. Hard. Well, because it's you literally like since when did the first Iron Man come out? Two thousand eight. So seven, sixteen years ago. What is that? Well, Endgame came out in fifteen years ago. Eighteen, eighteen or nineteen. Okay. No, Endgame came out nineteen or twenty because we were in our house at that point. So call it a decade, but like a formative. No, not nineteen or twenty. It was eighteen. It was 18. Anyway. Somewhat formative decade. Yeah. For people Many of our people age. Many people of our age, yeah. And you follow this storyline that builds and builds, and you get so ingrained in All it. All the characters. And that's what made Endgame harder to me, is like, I, there were, everything came out about how, like, Captain America, Iron Man, like, they both wanted to be done. Yeah. And so you're like, one of those two is dying. Yeah. And so you also wonder, like, is is, Hem- is Hemsworth also, also done? Is Thor mm-hmm. going to maybe die? Like, you don't know. So you know somebody's dying. So your emotions are really high, but you still have the surprise. James Bond, you're like, it's over. He's dying. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, prepared for him to die. And then the way that he did was so, like, perfect. It was, like, perfect. It was the full story arc of his character because he transitions from being completely selfish mm-hmm. to completely selfless at the end. And so the story arc is beautiful. And so it was, like, that's how it should have happened. That's exactly what should have happened. And he was in control of it. So nobody beat him, which is like the best part about James uh-huh. Bond is that he's unbeatable, right? James Bond is a human who can't lose. It's kind of the Batman-esque mm-hmm. sense of it. And so for him to be like, bomb it. And he's the one yeah. controlling it and he's watching it and like, let's go. It sort of feels perfect. But so the, I could deal with dude, it. Dude, like, but he like has the stuffed animal. Yeah. Oh. I just was like, this is the right, like he... That dude is not supposed to be a family man. He's not supposed to be a dad. He's not yeah. supposed to he's not supposed to be in those things. Like he's he is doing the right thing for the character that they've built and the most evolved thing for that character. Yeah. So it's like again, I that was like I could deal with it. Yeah. Because I knew it was coming and they did a nice job. All that to say, James Bond, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oceans, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes, and about a third of the Marvel films I could watch infinite amounts yeah, of times. I'm with you on that. Um, some of the Marvel anything post Endgame I just don't care about um, I know it, there's exceptions no no no, 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 no. you're right you're 100% right I think that we are getting out of that okay finally did you watch the new Ant-Man uh, yeah Quantumania yeah what did you think I thought it was fun hated it yeah so I, I think a lot of people hated it I thought it was fun it was fine Ant-Man's the least like popular character so I don't judge the success of Marvel off of Ant-Man have you seen the new Guardians uh no, not yet. Really, well, here's the thing. Rad. When they also the, is so good. When they like the entire movie takes place in green screen 
And like yeah. 100% yeah. of the movie. All green screen. Like the yeah. other ones have green screen, but there's like part in New York or whatever. Right. But like all green screen, the whole movie, I'm like, I can't. This is, this is totally it. fair. There are many things in many of the Marvels post Endgame that are completely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Shit. Like critic, cr- um, they invite criticism and yeah. they deserve criticism. I'm not like a Marvel apologist. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like enjoy them, but like I hated like the worst movie I've ever seen in my life, and I will never watch it again. In Love and Thunder, the worst yes. movie I've ever seen. Yes, fucking garbage. I was so annoyed. It was so bad. I was like, I just wasted two hours of my life it was on like trash. An insult to Marvel. It was an insult to everybody who participated. Taika Waikiki is my least favorite director in yes, the history I can't of the world. Stand I can't him. stand that. He's guy. a 13 year old. He's actually a 13-year-old. And he and he's one of those 13-year-olds who thinks he's cooler than he is. Like I yeah. I, I just emits it emits conceitedness. He really rubs you the wrong way. I can't, stand, I can't stand him. Um, and then I was like ugh. like Russell Crowe. Really? Yeah, why <laughs> that scene sucked. Like the whole movie sucked. The only thing that made that movie even that I could even get through it is Christian Bale. Christian Bale saved yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Like to make it moderately tolerable. But it's the worst movie I've ever watched. And now the fact that they just sprinkle in famous people to like have surprise and delight for people. They like, took they got away from that. With like Guardians, there's none of that. Um Guardians was Because they did it in Ant Man too. Who was in Ant Man? Um shoot, who was it? Uh who's the like rich person? Oh, uh Bill Murray. Oh, right. And they just like toss in Bill Murray. Yeah, toss like, in Bill Murray. Oh, it's Bill Murray yeah. and he's a funny person. See, I think that Kang makes that movie really good. Okay. Like Jonathan Majors does a really nice job as Kang the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like enjoyed. I, I thought his daughter's maturation was cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was like a lot of stuff. Like I wasn't pumped for Ant Man, and then I enjoyed it more. So probably like expectation setting was okay. helpful for me. I was so terrified of going to see Guardians, and then it was really good in like emotional and a really beneficial way. Mm-hmm. I won't say too many things. I don't want to ruin it for people. But yeah, um, I need to watch it. Yeah. Th- I just wait till they're on Disney. Have Plus. you seen the Spider Verse series? I can't. I dude, have you watched the no, first one? No, here's the thing. Listen, listen. I understand that they are excellent. Well, I had, I had only seen it. I had never seen it, and then Katie and I watched it like six months ago. I understand they are truly excellent. I I don't, you don't know like why movies do. You? I cannot get into animated. Interesting. I just okay. No, no matter how great it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the last animated thing that I was probably into is like Avatar: The Airbender. Have you? Which, watched, by the way, excellent. Have you watched Moana? No. Oh my god. Haven't seen Moana. Moana's haven't the best, seen Moana's the best movie Disney's ever made. Well, well. Hard stop. There's including my... everything that Disney owns. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. But of the like di- when you think yeah, Disney. Uh-huh. Okay. So I'm talking historical Disney, new Disney, all the Disney. Moana, best movie ever made. I'm sure. It's awesome. But I just I whenever it's animated, yeah, I don't know. Just can't do it. Can't do it. Fair enough. Get it. We should probably talk about the real we subject. Should. We're probably gonna need to cut some stuff for forty-five minutes. Of- I'll just I'll do the thing where I tell people <laughs> when to skip to. So yeah, hopefully yeah, yeah. you're skipping to around now if you want to hear 45. the real shit. Yeah. Um. But so our topic of discussion for today, uh, we had a number that we want to get to, but this is just recency bias because I feel like we both consumed content around this and whether your passion should drive your economics mm. and like the idea of. You know, we have these like side gigs and all these things, and does it need to be a gig, or can it just be? Yeah, right. Uh, I have done this a number of times with photography or 
consulting or whatever where it's like there are these things running that like I had interest in and then I started to like turn them into a money making endeavor and I mean I guess it's kind of jumping into it like it's kind of ruined it for me for Mm. a number of these things Mm -hmm. so I actually want to start with you around like what is your feeling of turning passions into something that drives your economic engine should you should you not what what's the nuance there for you um i'll go back to what we said a second ago where you slap a blanket statement on something you're probably going to get it wrong yep so this is i i believe that this is something that is highly individual and extremely dependent upon how it happens so let me take an example here yeah um I owned a CrossFit gym. I made a passion a business. I did not stumble into, quote unquote, the passion becoming a business. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't play out super great. At the same time, I can find other people who turned it into a business and it's awesome for them. So my own story doesn't over trump those people's stories. I think um, we'll use an example. You mentioned Lockhead earlier. He gave an example of um, a woman who's like online title and business is the Korean vegan. Yep. And she, to give some background to people who might be listening to this, she was a really high powered lawyer in Chicago. Um, her family is Korean. Food plays a really important role in their family. And then her husband is a vegan. And so she wanted to learn how to make vegan Korean dishes. Found Which is incredibly challenging. Very challenging. It's, it's in a, Korean food. Korean culture. Yeah. It almost it revolves around barbecue and like small amounts of meat. It's not like it's a, not quite like American where like the centerpiece is meat, which yeah. is great. I love that. Awesome. But um, I'm so hungry now. Are you? I'm, <laughs> yeah. I just ate before I came, so I'm good. Um, but anyway, long story short, she basically had to develop Korean vegan recipes. And then she was sharing her experiences doing so online. And the next thing you know, boom, big old business. Like big in the sense of individual creator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That kind of A big. successful content A creator. A successful content creator. That's what I, when I say stumbling into your passion being your business, that's what I mean by stumbling versus intentionality around, I love fitness, so I'm going to open a fitness company. Well, what, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't know if the like impetus of that becoming a thing. Yeah. It was like, I want to create content around this for free to help people, or if it was like, I want to create content around this because I think there's a business opportunity. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, one of the barometers that I have heard different people use that I actually really like, and this only applies to side gigs or hobbies becoming interests, not like career, is would you do it for free? Mm. So for instance, would I do what I do on a day-to-day basis for free? No. Yeah. But when people go and they like, the amount of effort that is required to turn a hobby into a business is so much effort and so many hours that it has to be something you enjoy so much that you would do it for free. Yep. So that's where I'm like, when I've done sponsorships and that like sponsorship brand management stuff and um, as a side business, it's just like kind of soul sucking. I would not, like I didn't care about it enough. It was tangential to running and athletics or whatever, but like I didn't enjoy it enough for it to be sustainable. Whereas when people start creating content about things they're incredibly passionate about, well, great. This podcast, yeah. right? This is just a delight. And I if, mean, yeah, we just talk for fun. <laughs> and if at some point it becomes a like 
money-making thing, it wouldn't, in theory, spoil it because we're going into this like, we just want to do this. Right. Right? Right. So I think that's one of the helpful lines is, do you enjoy it enough that you would do it for free because it's going to be so much work that you have to? Yeah, I... um. The thing that keeps going back to my head is a book I've mentioned multiple times on this show, and it's that one by Cal Newport of So Good They Can't Ignore You. Mm -hmm. And he makes a very, very, very influential and persuasive case for not trying to pick a passion to be your career. Yeah. Now, if you happen to be excellent at something and love something that has a career behind it, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. I think what the the like middle line I'm walking here is if we had two camps on opposite ends of the spectrum saying you must find the thing you love and make it your business your economic driver I like that phrase better yeah or you must stay away from taking something that you love and making it your economic driver mm-hmm. those are the two opposite ends of the spectrum the middle ground that I'm trying to walk is if you happen to discover by some I don't know luck that there's a career that matches up with something that you just love to make it really simple. Let's say you just love being a coach. You just love coaching people. And you're like, I can go and make enough money to fuel my economic engine by being a coach at a CrossFit gym. Yeah. Whatever your scenario is. I can tell you that like offhandedly, it's very hard to make a living that way, but maybe you don't need to make a living. Maybe you're a trust fund baby. Or maybe you actually just like, don't require that much. Right, or your burn rate's so low, or you have a, a partner, a significant other, who is the economic driver of your household. Like, like there's Admittedly, our, our lens of like good standard of living is going to be different than a lot of totally. people, right? So I think that, if, if or if you just happen to like really love building software, and you can build this incredible piece of software and make it a business, mm-hmm. like, I mean, congratulations, cool, great. But I think that, the I, this message, the thing that I rebel against is the you must find your passion, and that is when you will feel fulfilled by your work. That I disagree with. Down pat. I think the the difference is I I do not think that you need to follow your passion to make it a career. I think you can be successful if that's the case. I I, I do rebel against that. At, in line with you, what I do feel incredibly strongly is that everybody should enjoy their work mm. and should is we're getting into a dangerous yeah, no, should territory this is good i like shoulds because some people will just do work because it allows them to do the things outside of work that they do and work is like meh right yeah but i just feel you spend way too much time if you spend 30 to 80 hours a week doing this thing that that is so much time that you are doing a disservice to yourself if it is only to allow the things outside of those hours. Yeah. It is so much time. And if you manage to like do that and somehow be truly happy and fulfilled, like, bravo, I just don't believe in that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that my initial gut reaction when you said that was that I disagree. But like, I also hear the time thing like really clearly. Because where I disagree is like somebody who doesn't get fulfillment from their, like what I was going to say is, oh yeah, this person doesn't get fulfillment from their career. I think the question back to myself to play devil's advocate would be, is that because they haven't discovered what they would get fulfillment from? Is that why they say they don't get fulfillment from career? Like for example, I, like, yes. let's say that somebody yeah, who yeah, like, yeah. you know, their job is by and large, I mean, in, in front of a screen. So you're a 21st century knowledge worker, mm-hmm. but like you feel your best when you're 
building things with your hands. So if you work for a landscaping company instead, would you get a lot of fulfillment from your career? If you literally built buildings and houses, would that give you more fulfillment? If you were an artist, would that give you fulfillment from your career? And should you be doing that? And it's unfair because let's say like you really got a lot of uh, fulfillment out of doing things with your hands and you are a knowledge worker, but you want to make $250,000 a year. It's really hard to do that as the person who's doing stuff with your hands, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. But I think there's actually some nuance here. To me, I don't think necessarily that everybody needs to get fulfillment from work. That's not okay. what I'm saying. I think fulfillment and enjoyment are a different thing, okay? So okay. to me, I come to work every day, and I am very fulfilled by what I do. Uh-huh. Like, I get energy from solving the challenges that we solve as a part of marketing, mm-hmm. okay? Great. Uh, but if you're somebody who is in like the same scenario and you don't get personal fulfillment from doing the things that you do, but you like, like the place that you work, you have good coworkers and a nice working environment and you like, don't dislike doing marketing or accounting or whatever. Right. I think there's a difference there of like the personal fulfillment that the, I like, get. The overall environment also dictates fulfillment, not just necessarily the activity. Yeah. yeah. So to me, it's like nobody should dislike the place they go to for 40 hours a week. I think a good, like your thing, your framework of would you do it for free? The other one that I like to think through is if you won the lottery, would you do it tomorrow? And the other one is do you get Sunday scaries? Sunday scaries is a good one. If, if you... The reason I like the lotto one is that you now have freedom. Would you still choose to do it? But here's the thing. I like, it depends on the lottery. Like I really, really enjoy my job and where I work and the people. But if you handed me $500 million tomorrow, Uh would I do this for a while? Sure. Would I like keep my career? Probably not. I would um, likely, for me, it always comes back to time. Yeah. I would just spend less time on it. Like, that's the thing. But the thing is, you like that realistically is probably not a framework that would actually happen. If you're like, hey, I would love to like keep doing this for like 20 hours a week, but I got half a mil coming in every week. It's like, they'd be like, okay, well, we're going to go get a full-time salesperson. You know, the thing that's interesting is I actually have a, I have a hypothesis that if you eliminated all of the things outside of sales that I do inside of my work, I could do my job in about 10 to 20 hours a week. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, one of the reasons people like sales, like, don't let them get this thing twisted, is that if you are very good at it, you don't have to work a lot. Yeah. Because you do highly impactful work in very short amount of time. Yeah. So, it's like, like, conversations. Talk to people. Yeah. And if a couple and of those go really don't, well, most congrats. Most people 40 hours for you a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you don't, like, you don't have 40 hours of work to do. You're not on the on phone. The unless phone. you're, like, inside sales doing cold calls all the time. It, yeah, I guess if you have like if you have a like a quota of of yeah, activity yeah, number, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like there are definitely places where that makes sense to have. If you've if you have a pipeline that you've been able to build the math for that shows activity yields output, mm-hmm. great. I could spend forty hours a week making cold calls, and not shit would happen to our pipeline. Yeah, not a model that works for us. But like, I think what I've been lately trying to uncover because okay, I love the sales environment. Yep. We don't have a constant sales environment. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't work a hundred deals a year. Yeah. And so if I'm and, and that's deals. So like 
I don't have 200 conversations a year. Yeah. So it's like, what am I doing all the time? But at the same time, I feel a pressure to make sure that I'm doing something. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think people lose fulfillment in their work mm. is when they look around and they feel a sense of I should be doing something or I, I should be earning this or I or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and then you start doing things that don't actually matter. And then you get frustrated. Yeah. Because you're like, I mean, when's the last time you heard somebody say that they like busy work? Doesn't no. exist. Right, it doesn't exist. Nobody's like, oh, I love busy work. But we get into that place because you're like, there are days where on Friday I could be done at noon and like, at, like literally nothing would happen in the right. business. Right, But it feels weird, weird and wrong. And wrong. I am trying to rebel against this feeling. Yes. I am trying so hard to rebel against this feeling because I have, I have this whole point of view right now that, um, and I don't think I'm unique in this, although I don't see a ton of stuff about it. And you'd think given how much I talk about it, I would be getting served this content. Yep. Um, that we need to completely reinvent the way that work happens in, in the world at large. Because the last time we had a, real, a realistic shift in how people work was the Industrial Revolution. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Like, and we're all ingrained <laughs> to think that we should be, like you said, like there are Fridays where you, you are done at probably 10. Like, because you start very early. So like you get here at 7 and like you're done because you did a lot of work the rest of the week and there's nothing that's pressing and you'll always have more. You see, here's the thing where I struggle, right? Okay. So, and I'm going to do a disservice to your role in this yeah. conversation, no, no, right? No, no, no. But it. at the end of the day, it's like, what new business revenue can you generate, right? That's my, that's my role. <laughs> and if there are not calls that you have scheduled to have and the like admin work is done, there is literally no reason for you to be online. Yeah. Okay. For me, uh, there's like the, I don't know, strategic planning, moving chess pieces aspect of my job, but there is also a lot of producing Mm -hmm. and that there is an endless list of things that I could, should at some point in time be doing, making, Right. right? There's 30 decks or ads or pieces of content or whatever they like could be producing. So that's where my guilt comes in is because there is always something that is like next. So I'll give you my version of that. Okay. Um, let's just, there's always more money to be made. There's always another deal to go find. You could always, I could always do be doing cold some calls. kind of prospecting to fill yeah. a pipeline. Yeah. So this is what happens to salespeople, right? You get, um, you get lazy when things are going really well mm-hmm. and you get really hyperactive and probably a little clingy, desperate, stage five clinger girlfriend style yeah. or boyfriend <laughs> style um, when you, things going are not well. going well. Yeah. So what needs to happen is you need to act the same regardless of what's happening. Yeah. And so the, the key to, I think, getting um, freedom for at least for like a sales role is to understand that did you do the activities that you should be doing mm-hmm. all the time. Did you and, and like should makes it feel so like assigny that most sales people like, rebel. In work that is there are shoulds. There are shoulds. There are like I should put my reporting in HubSpot. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it needs to be done. Is mm-hmm. it done? Okay. But that doesn't take a long time. So what I've been trying to figure out, because again, I rebel against this idea that you should just be on for eight hours a day. Like I, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And um there are also I also rebel against the idea that you should never take a meeting after five PM. Fuck that. Yeah. 
like if you if you got <laughs> okay. a, if you oh, got a big triggered thing, if you got a big thing going on and you need to you need to work longer like it can't be an all the time thing no. but every now and again it's fine but my point being if you could get a list of things that tell you today was successful and then stop because you need to do that all the time whether you're really really full and really really busy sales or really really empty and there's nothing coming in if you find the the rough formula for this is what successful activity looks like it starts to give freedom to i can check out yeah the productivity thing is a challenge for me because i have been told repeatedly over the last however many years that i am from the outside like a very productive person. I am able to like make a lot of stuff happen yes. to other people. Yes. Whereas myself, I don't feel that way frequently. And there, I feel like there's so much left on the table. Mm-hmm. So my own barometer for productivity and what can be done is so different than what people's expectations are of me. Right. They're like for the outside world to be like doing a good job, I could fuck off after Thursday half the time. Yeah. But that I, they're like, it's just not good enough and there's so many things that need fixed and whatever that like I'm not gonna do that. Well there's, you know? there's so interesting it's like, too. It's like um the the thing that popped into my head I don't know if you've ever used like the Eisenhower matrix. I'm f- lightly familiar, but no. It could be freeing for you. It might not be helpful at all. But like I I don't get the suspicion that you are ever going to get to a place where you feel like you don't have lots more to do. No, because and that would be boring. You'd be bored. So it's like <laughs> you'd be so that's, that's such a funny like no shit acknowledgement. Yeah. I'm like I would be miserable if I didn't always have lots to do. So mm-hmm. quit torturing myself about having lots to do because that's what I want. Right, you want it anyway. So like my my thing that's in my head if I were like advising to you around being like yeah okay and like let's make it this way too like there are some fridays where i'm i'm done after like 9 30 like we yeah. finish new biz and i'm like you could <laughs> go on vacation shit going on right now yeah. um and then i want to have my activities that i don't need to do every day and yeah. go do them behaviors but my that. behaviors need to be there um but my behaviors don't take a very long time most of the time and i could be done by noon let's just say i actually am pretty sure that i could have a four-day work week no problem mm-hmm. like i'm pretty certain i could be one of those um, but like this last Friday, we started at seven thirty, and I finished at four thirty, yep. and I didn't break. There was just yeah, full, full, full day, and that's fine. I, there was no, I was happy. Those great, are great, 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 great meetings great and conversations. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. good stuff. Um, but I think for you, it'd be interesting to be like, if I've got a matrix. So the matrix is something like urgent and important, urgent and unimportant. oh yeah, 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 okay, important but not urgent, yeah. not important, not not urgent. Obviously, don't do. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the eliminate. There's like. I think it'd be interesting for you to consider what bucket needs to be checked before I let myself break. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I think on some level what happens to me, the times that I like have managed to give myself grace uh-huh. is where I've just like worked a disgusting amount. And I'm like, you know, just like do yourself a little service and like end early on a day, you know? Yeah. Like those are the only days where I let it happen, which is not the right healthy way to well, go about it. But. It's not an unhealthy way to go about it. It's like, I think it's, Man, this is a really hard like concept to grasp because to me it it puts too much emphasis on output versus outcome. Yeah, and like we all should, in theory, be in outcome focused roles. I am in an outcome focused. See, this role. is actually where I disagree. I disagree. 
Well, here's the thing. There you, is, can't, you can't always control outcome. There is a closer correlation. Actually, I don't even know if that's a closer correlation. That's probably not fair. But there is a correlation in my role between output and outcome. Because we're like building a brand that needs repeated content and needs these touch points and whatever. And like the amount of effort I put in into investigating events, putting content out, uh, all, all these different things, right? Like that is a really early behavior for future, future outcome, outcome. Yep. right? Um, but the idea of like, well, if I worked a shitload of hours this week, then I'm going to give myself some grace on a Friday is just such an output mentality right. that it's flawed. Well, and th- Versus like, did I achieve the outcomes that I should this week? I'll use a sports analogy because of course I will. Of course. Um, but okay, sports are, what I, one of the great things about sports is you have, um, you actually have very little control, if any control whatsoever over the outcome. Of what happens. Okay. Yep. Some, somebody you can else control your effort. is yeah. going to str- try to make what you want to have happen not happen and inverse, right? Yep. So like in your head, they're the villain and in their head, you're the villain. So yep. you're in this complete impasse situation. The only thing you can control is the process you go through for preparation, training, and getting ready for performance. Mm-hmm. So the behaviors, the output is actually far more important than the outcome. So I think that it's interesting, and this goes back to the high times, low times in sales. It's really easy to be like, ah, pipeline's full. That deal just closed. I'm ahead on revenue. I'll just like not make my calls, not do this activity that I have hypothesized or seen leads to good outcomes. Yeah. It's a lot, but that's the worst time you can do that. So being outcome so being outcome oriented from a from like a sales standpoint, which would seem to be the most outcome oriented thing, like it. If you could make one call and close the whole year of business, congratulations, you're done. Go take a 12 months off. But like, that's the worst possible way you could approach it. Well, that's actually, I, I'm thinking about it in terms of a an outcome I had set out for this quarter that is not going to happen, which is like landing a few speaking engagements, right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, the people will or will not be interested. What can I do? I can reach out. I can refine the pitch, all those things, all output related things. And then the outcome will be what it will be. Right. On the same side of it, I could have landed those things. That rock could have been checked off weeks ago, but the opportunities that came up and whatever just didn't end up being the right opportunities. And it would have actually been worse if you would have made the outcome what you needed the rock to say. Yes. Because you would have been like, yeah, I'll book them. And then I would have spent thousands and thousands of dollars of money poorly. Right. So yeah, it is. There is a lot of nuance. This goes to back it. to I think. So at our offsite, I was sort of in a funk, and I couldn't figure out why. And I'm still sort of unpacking like what was it that was bothering me. Mm-hmm. And there were a few things um, that I've since learned. A lot of it's just like internal challenges around belief. But I think there's also this element that like the rocks don't make sense to me mm. because they're very externally focused. Like I have a revenue rock. Well, what if one of the people that we signed last quarter, um has some catastrophic impact on their business. And then Mm -hmm. they were going to spend X amount of dollars. And then now they can't because they're going to go out of business Mm -hmm. if they do. Well, it's like that rock gets missed. Mm -hmm. And that looks like you didn't do your job. But it's not true. Well, the thing is they are required as indicators of if we do all of these things, they will ladder up to achieving the things that the company needs to for the year. Right. And there are things, there's such thing as not achieving the outcome that you set out for and it's still being the right thing, yeah. right? So well, let's say yeah, right, I don't yeah. land a couple uh, speaking engagements, right? But the learnings from that process 
were the right learnings uh-huh. to have come about, and that perhaps it's the wrong time based on the things that were able to pitch and the people and whatever. Like, it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to march towards. And even if the outcome isn't achieving a like green, yes, we achieved those outcomes. All of the other stuff is still relevant and important, and the behaviors that it forced are still important. And that's actually the good point. And going, I know we've gotten we've gone from like f- fulfillment, passion into goal setting. I'm going to ring us be- ring us whatever back. In what I was going to say is, I yeah. think the most v- valuable thing that those can do is they can refine your behaviors. Yeah. So like using it's the, a forcing it's function a for-, for accountability and all these things and right? change and change. Like when, how long should you wait to change a behavior? Is it that it needs more time to work out, or is mm-hmm. it the behavior is wrong? And going back to giving yourself the grace of being done when you're done and not working on as a fucking industrialized machine. Yeah. Like, you're not. You're human. Um, what? <laughs> amazing. I know. Oh, drives me crazy. Um, if you look at, all right, I, I missed this rock. I missed this objective. And my I had hypothesized that these behaviors would lead to that objective. And it didn't and it's been 90 days, I need to change my behavior in some capacity. Something needs to change to try to get that to happen. Yeah, if if you miss it and you don't have fruitful discussion about it, if there's not like decisions that are made as a result of missing it, then it's a waste and it's the wrong thing. Well, and I think if it drives the right discussion, whether you hit it or not, like then it's still the right thing. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good viewpoint. And I think that like to the idea of giving yourself the space I think we get overly tied to, I can't give myself the space because the outcome hasn't happened. Yeah. And when you have people like us who are gap thinkers, and really we regular, have red items. The, it never happens. No. It never happens because like, what would happen if they were all green? We just send it further. We do this. We, we do this. It. Oh, things are good. Oh, the things number's are good. Not make high the number enough. bigger. Yeah. Things are good. Make the number bigger. Uh-huh. So if you only ever, and that's the idea. That's what's great. Like you should have the number be just so high that it stretches you to make it. Yeah. And you, should really shoot to have it 80 to 85% of the time. That's what research shows. Research, mm-hmm. research shows that you should be able to hit your goal 80 to 85% of the time, which is why EOS runs on 80% completion of rocks. It's That's the target. So yep. for all of the stuff that we track, we shouldn't act... If we're always green, increase it. And mm-hmm. that's how we'll always think. So if we only give ourselves the grace of of like being like, I did, I did good work, when the outcome is saying that we did good work, mm-hmm. we'll go fucking crazy. Yeah. But if you never pay attention to your outcome and you're only focused on process, you never actually know if your process is doing anything. Yeah. And I'll share one anecdote from Brian Kavicki, my sales godfather. <laughs> um, I know you don't listen to this, but if you do, BK. Hey. Yeah. What's up, dude? <laughs> um, he stopped looking at his own results. Yeah. Yeah. You talked to and him about that. And he just smashes them. Like, mm-hmm. he sets these outlandish things, doesn't track them, and then he beats them. Yeah. So interesting. Because he's figured out his playbook. His playbook works all the time for his him. His output. His his outcomes, he knows exactly what drives them. So he just does the things yeah. all the time. I found a thing we're very passionate about because we are both very, very animated right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a really like, it's, oh, I'm just like, I care a lot about it because it's like, man, wouldn't it be nice? Because like back to the very first thing of like, would you do your job if it was free? Yeah. I would. I just wouldn't do it all the time. Yeah. And what I would give myself more time for, like we talked about this before, I probably just wouldn't start work until like 9.30 or 10 Mm -hmm. because I'd train longer in the morning and I'd have a slower time having coffee. (sighs) And uh I would probably be done at like four. I'd probably work like 10 to four. And I wouldn't do, 
I probably wouldn't do a lot of prospecting only because I've never seen it be effective for me, which means I haven't figured out the behavior to make it effective. If I figured out how to make prospecting work for me, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it because it's just going out and finding people who need what you do. How and much it, are you workshopping that? Oh, man. Not enough. I'm realizing in the moment. We should like beat that up. Yeah, of, we like, should beat the how, to make prospecting, how to make prospecting. Add that to work. our one-on-one yeah, for actual one-on-one, business shit. Yeah. But you know, like that's what I would do. Just yeah. like my, my life wouldn't have, um, you know, honestly, I'd probably have almost no internal meetings. Yeah. I'd meet with you. I'd meet with Kyler. <laughs> Call it a day. <laughs> that would be it. <laughs> uh, I want to bring us back to our point here. I just want to say one reason why I disagree with the lottery mentality. Yeah. Is I'm a firm believer that you have no idea at all what the fuck you would do with that money until you have it. <laughs> 100%. And I bet realistically, if we each were given like near a billion dollars tomorrow, we would actually like fuck off to Tahiti kind of thing. Not literally, for a, but like... For a period yeah. of time, I would totally fuck off to Tahiti. It'd be yeah. a month of not, not shit. Uh-huh. I'd be like, yeah, see ya. I'd be like, i tell myself like, you know, I wouldn't change that much about my life. Like, I wouldn't buy a bunch of stuff. And you know what? If I was given a billion dollars tomorrow, would I probably be going to Reese Nichols and getting three Rolexes? Yeah, probably. I bet I actually yeah, and would. Like, I would go, bu- I'd build a super truck. Like, yeah. As course, much as yeah. a good person, I want to like make myself feel like nah, it's dude, that's, that's, what people, that's what good people do. We got to keep the luxury designers employed too. It reminds me of this guy that um, was talked about on an automotive podcast recently in California. Won a like one point two billion dollar jackpot. Right, <laughs> worked at Target. Worked at Target. Good for this. And is guy. now one of the biggest hypercar collectors in the world. Oh my goodness! Like million, like tens of millions of dollars a year on cars. Like one of the best collectors in the world and it's because he worked at target won a billion dollar lottery and is like yeah good. like incredible. good for you i mean good for good you for you yeah like if you do that and do nothing else for anybody else terrible well i don't know it's one of those things where i'm like <laughs> do whatever you want it's your fucking money dog. yeah there's do so much should around that yeah, I like, but fuck i off. i do like there is i do think that it is right to do things for other people if you yeah. come into those number of resources and whatever but anyways well that's most people would topic. right like most people do other things for other people. Mm-hmm. They just don't. The problem I have with a lot of people who have much money who do things for other people, they actually do things for other people to build their own ego. Mm-hmm. They, look at, I've donated all this money. Like um, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife. Yeah. I'm not saying she's not a lovely person. She's probably a lovely person. But don't tell me that she's not trying to out phil- philanthropy Jeff so that she shows that Jeff's an asshole. Like mm-hmm. somewhere deep down, that's there. Yeah. So like I... The, the like loud giving no. is not for me which is why we're both in the camp of like we would do so much stuff for the people in our sphere yep they're like every like the espresso machine that i brought to the office everybody's in love with and like if i won the lottery every fucking person here is getting an espresso machine on right. their front doorstep right kind of thing. Yeah, like that, that but, kind of yeah that, and that's the thing that resources do right like resources allow you to take the circle that you can impact which is this big mm-hmm. to this level to bigger and bigger level. And if you want to do the broad scale with enough resources, you can. Do it. Yeah. If you want to be in, like, and, and if you, you know what, and if it's, if it gets you to do it by having your name on it, great. Okay, fine. Like, sort of question if you're doing it for good purposes, but it still has a good yeah, outcome. Sure. But if you want to be the anonymous donor or the non-anonymous donor that makes charity water run for the next 10 years because you want a billion dollars and you give them a hundred million. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. Great. Do whatever you want, but it's your money, and I'm not judging you for it. Do whatever the fuck you want. But do I want to like actually pay off people's houses and like make sure they don't have any debt, and then surprise and delight all the time and that kind of stuff? Like, yeah, sure. that would be my uh, preference. Yeah, uh, I do want to uh, bring out a flaw in my own mentality around the "Would you do it for free?" Okay, mm. because I have done paid photography gigs, 
And I love photography. I love the act of doing it. I love the tech. I love the cameras. I love the post-production and the editing, all of that. And you're good at it. And sure, whatever. <laughs> um, you're, you're well above the average individual doing it. Okay. you. I won't say that about myself, but I'll take it. Um, all that to say, I do photography for free. I, it's a hobby. I'll go out and shoot stuff, whatever. That's great. And when I started doing it paid, it ruined it for me. Mm -hmm. It's a thing that I would do for free and do do for free. And yet I couldn't, it just like ruined it for me when I made it a paid thing. So there yep. has, there is some more nuance than would you do it for free. Mm -hmm. And I think it might be like maybe at certain aspects of the business. Like I, I could never be a salesperson and maybe I hate the idea mm -hmm. of like doing the sales to land the things. And then if like, that was covered for me and I had a flow of referrals and maybe I would enjoy it. I don't know. Sure. But there was some aspect of trying to make that an economic driver that just, it didn't work. That's funny because um, that's like the part that ob obviously I'm in the right role. That's the part I'm always like, yeah, give me that all day. It's the fulfillment side that I don't want to deal with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I don't want to actually do the thing. I just want to tell you about the thing, show how it can, or discover if it actually can help you or not and then make a decision together on if you should buy it. Like realistically, and then I want to get off of like, the whole conversation. Like if we were to want to do consulting, you don't want to do consulting. No. What what the real correct dynamic would be is you do sales and I fulfill. Correct. And that would be the right That would be the model. right model. Because you love sales and you would get to do your sales thing more and then not have to do shit about it afterwards. Exactly, which is what I love. I wouldn't mind doing some sales consulting. Mm -hmm. I've done that ad hoc for individuals in my own network, like yeah. for free. I never have been paid for it. Yeah. It's always very fun, mm -hmm. like super fun. I, I would do um, nutrition and fitness consulting for free. It's very fun. Yeah. Don't care. Mm -hmm. But you know what? When I make people pay for it, don't like it anymore. Really? Yeah, I don't know. It's just like some sort of element of like, okay, now I got to do something for you. Mm -hmm. Instead of like choosing to do the thing and to not have like... What I would do is I would do consulting where I could walk out of the room and that's the end of the engagement. Mm -hmm. I'm not making documents. I'm not making it look yeah. pretty. I'm not doing stuff that's outside of my like – my core competency is in the moment at the table solving with you. Yep. My core competency is not collecting the things that we solve for, making it presentable, and making it really consumable. Mm -hmm. I know that about myself. So the reality is like that's a different skill set that I either would decide I care enough to make that skill set happen – and now I need to like get the reps making the skill set better mm -hmm. or I just fucking don't do it. One of the other things that was a challenge for me is with a lot of side gigs, hobbies that become businesses is it's not uncommon to start with your near sphere as the like baseline totally. of referral network. Friends, families, and fools, baby. And I just, anytime there have been instances where I like, charged people in my near sphere for services as I like dip my toes in the water of making a business and it feels like shit every single time. Interesting. I would um you might like do some do some self discovery on your relationship with money. Oh, I'm sure there's issues there. Um, I'm like because here's the thing, I used I, to feel that way. Yeah. And then I got over it cuz I had to. Yeah, well there's the thing and because I also did it for free, I did a ton of photography for free and ended up like feeling resentful right because i was putting all these hours in and getting nothing for it but then i would yeah like charge people for it i'm like but this just feels gross where realistically if you like care then the people like family members that care they want would to want pay to pay yes. so that i can get the thing off the ground yeah right exactly but even like if we think about us right like the the photo shoot right? yeah that like 
still i'm just like ugh. really that's yes. hilarious yeah i haven't thought about it since yeah <laughs> yeah i was like pumped to do it so it's just like that's a thing that i've personally run into as yeah. i've tried not abnormal a lot of people say that yeah yeah and it was always hard for me like the hardest days at the gym was when i had a friend or a family member coming to try it out i was mm-hmm. nervous shit mm-hmm. like oh so uncomfortable like the number one most uncomfortable experience i in the gym was when jr came uh-huh oh man oh, i was yeah. so nervous i was like Oh man. And like husband t- of our CEO. Yeah, by t- the way. Tiffany is so and so is he. They're so like great people uh-huh. that at no point did I ever feel weird actually when yeah. they were there. But like before, oh my God. Uh-huh. Pure terror. Yeah. <laughs> because somebody who I like, okay, I have a very high need for approval. I have a very high eye on the disc. I care a lot about the people that I respect. Somebody that you respect, me. yeah. Uh-huh. I respect him. I like him. I really like his wife. She's my boss. I need this to not go poorly. Like, yeah. there's there's a, there's a thing from wanting to like not the needing in the framework of like need being better than want, but like yeah. like I, I both fundamentally to put food on the table need to not make a huge mistake here mm-hmm. is like what's in my head. Yeah, even though like it could be the worst thing ever, and Tiff's not going to fire me no. at element three. But that's the he might like there might be a dinner the, conversation at their home where they're like yeah Joe kind of sucks at that thing yeah. actually, and then they'd and they'd laugh, be like oh that's a bummer. Be like, oh it's a good thing he's never going to quit my job. And yeah. they laugh about it. Yeah. but in the moment totally freaked out. Yeah, you know, so I feel you like the the closer somebody was to my personal sphere, the more I was nervous about them mm-hmm. coming to the gym. And the, the it was way easier for somebody who I didn't know to come in. And there's something fundamentally wrong with that because like, what does that mean? I don't want to serve the people I don't know as well. It's mm-hmm. like, well, that's kind of wrong too. Yep. If you think about it, but yep. yes, the answer is yes. I don't really mm-hmm. care as much. So it's like, it's just hard. I think one of the interesting takeaways from this, if there is, because I feel like we are miles really the, from like any takeaways. <laughs> but the one thing I will say is the benefit in trying mm. the learnings that come from. So I know now that I probably, I said I know, and then I said probably, but yeah, like changing circumstances, figuring out the sales side of it aside, I most likely do not want photography to actually be a business of mine. Right. And I wouldn't have known that, and I would have just wondered if I didn't go out and try it. Well, and you try it in the right level. Yeah. This is a good reason, or a good takeaway, too, is you don't need to go from, uh, I don't have anything, or like, I have this thing that I kind of like, to it's my whole job. Yeah. Like, that was the actual biggest mistake I made with the gym. With the gym. Mm-hmm. Was I went from, I don't, I love, I love this thing, now I'm going to open and own one and take on all the things that that means, debt and sign leases and like, be... Um, a, a, a creditor no a debtor to somebody yeah mm-hmm. um like the 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 bullet version of that to use some jc language mm-hmm. is is go coach yep start start coaching every day for an hour see how you feel do you like it do you find yourself looking forward to that hour is the hour draining well see if you can buy into a place right see if you could just shadow somebody yeah be like hey can i just follow around your day take take a day off of work follow them on a monday not on a Saturday where they have an event going on. Like, I'm talking a fucking normal Monday. Mm-hmm. Follow them. If they're at the gym at 5 a.m. to coach the opening class, then you're at the gym at 5 a.m. Ask yourself, is this what I want my life to look like? Like, do some things that teach you because I can tell you right now that if I would have done that, I would not have opened it. At least not in the way that I did. Mm-hmm. What I probably would have had the realization of was, oh, you don't really love coaching. So that's a problem as to, to start it without a staff. So now one of your barriers to entry is not just people talk about barriers to entry to a, to a business. And for photography, it's like get a camera, maybe have a website, have Adobe for 
editing purposes, like whatever it is that you need. Start it up for like five grand. Right. Yeah. So it's like in the gym business, it's different, different barriers to entry, but people act like there are just barriers to entry. It's Mm -hmm. like, what are your barriers to entry? Mm -hmm. I would have learned that my barrier to entry was I need a business partner who can take this coaching off of my hands Mm -hmm. and I'll do all the stuff that they hate and we'll enter this thing. You know, like that would have been a barrier. So I think there's like, if you have a thing that you think you love and you're curious about if it can be an economic output for you, see if you can try it for a, to a little bit and like slowly test and ramp that until you reach a place where you have your answer. And in the process of it, you actually might find you have a really like fulfilling side hustle that makes you a grand a month. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, it's never going to like pay all my bills, but shit, it's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. I'm getting enjoyment from it. It pays me some money. It's all my fun money. I take a big trip on it every year, like whatever that is. And it becomes fulfilling for you. Yeah. The other thing I'd say as a takeaway is that, um, I think I've shared this before, but like I never would have been like, oh yeah, you're going to feel really passionately about like consultative selling. I am reading a book for fun that's called let's get real or let's not play. And it is all about a sales process. Mm-hmm. Like it is 220 pages of breaking down sales processes and I'm reading it for fun. Weird. So sometimes you get into something and you, by by caring about being good at it, you find passion in it. That, like, I think that's, that's a thing. big thing for people just entering the professional world in general is like there's a lot of people who aren't going into the field that they're degree is in if you're mm-hmm. talking about like college educated career paths yeah there's a lot of people who don't feel passionate about the thing and yet they can get there yeah like did i love marketing when i graduated with my marketing degree probably not no i did not <laughs> but do i really enjoy my job i sure do yep you know and I, so i think the real takeaway is to just not close yourself off to the opportunity in two different places don't never try the side things I've tried and failed three or four side businesses or not fail, but just stopped because they sucked yeah. and failed some. Um, but I have no regrets about trying them because I know that now. And the same thing is give whatever path you're going into an opportunity to surprise you. And that if you learn that, yeah, you're really not into it, then maybe make a change based yeah. on the conversation we had earlier. But just like don't close yourself off to opportunities. Take some risk. Step out. I feel like it's the underlying thing. And yeah, just totally. like experience and learn. Yeah. Which makes like, that feels like way too uh, real a like suggestion. I'm like, who the fuck am I to say this? Oh, but you've tried some things. Like, I've tried some things. Like, yeah. It's real stuff. Yeah, it's real stuff. It's also supported if you go and read actual actual research. Yeah. Maybe we should link to it. I don't know. But oh, we yeah. won't. We won't actually link to it. You guys know that. Yeah. We'll put that effort <laughs> in someday when we have staff. Um, yeah. Okay. And I think we found maybe another topic we could dive into sometime going more on the like goals, output, outcome stuff. Yeah. I feel like we've talked about it some in the past. I don't know if we've done a Not dedicated like episode. Not a real super deep dive. And I think I would probably learn because I'm an externalizer. So by talking, it will. Mm-hmm. I'll get clarity on how I feel about it because I don't really know how to think about it. We'll add output and outcome as a topic. Yeah. Awesome. We'll look forward to that one.